Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm pretty all right. Grading another Oilers win most of the way through it. <laughs> and, can't uh, complain. You know, it's, yeah, I can't complain when they're, when they're winning seven out of eight, as I have so far. The third time in six seasons, I kept mentioning on the broadcast, they started seven and one. And the weird thing is that each time they lost the exact same game, number six. And they won the first five, and then they bounced back from that one loss with two wins, which is really the way to do it. Spooky. It's spooky. Mm-hmm. They, they've been That's seven and year. one. How many years out of what? Three out of the last six. Really? 16, 17, the, the year... Um, the year they got Adam Larson and Milan Lucic and they and Cam Talbot was just so good. And they uh-huh. came flying out of the gate and that was the first time they made the playoffs in 11 long seasons. You remember that? Yeah. And that then, sweet. of course, uh, um, uh, two years ago in uh, Dave Tippett's debut behind the bench, they started off 5-0. and And then, uh, of course, this year is the third one. So, Well, those other teams regressed to the mean as the hockey stats guys like to say Bruce this team obviously isn't gonna you know win seven out of eight games all year but you're not gonna this go team, 70 and 10 this team yeah it's not the what was it which team was so great I think it was an NBA team maybe the LA Lakers one year I can't remember um then the Montreal Canadiens, of course, in the was 77, 78. Was that their big year? Uh, 76, 77, that they went 68 and 12. And the next year they slid all the way to 59, 10, and 11. 68 and 12. Mandatory. 8 and 12. Eight losses. Yeah. Eight. Greatest. Maybe the greatest NHL. Games. Maybe the greatest NHL team ever, although the. 84-85 Edmonton Oilers actually were voted by NHL.com as the greatest NHL team of all time. Hmm. So, uh, 5-2 over the Seattle Kraken. 5-2. Seattle, um, they, what do we have the chances? 17-15 um, for Seattle. So, they, yes. they outchanced on grade A chances, the Oilers. It was a mistake-prone 5-2 win. But the Oilers, on pure, unbelievable, brilliant, just great skill they won that game you know they're just incredible skill plays mainly by let you know leon dry tonight leading the way um just uh uh that's how you win them bruce when you've got a team of high skill and that's what the orders did trade chances and uh spare yours and count on your goalie to to thwart the other guys and uh, i mean that's how the 80s team worked also they they tended to trade mm-hmm. chances a lot, but their execution was just so much better that they won a lot of games. And uh, this one, I, I mean, I wasn't really happy with the way the Oilers played this game. I mean, not really at all. Like there was a long stretches of very sloppy and and uh, uh, disorganized hockey and cavalier puck management and you know coverage and. But uh, and they were playing against a team that was playing their back to back. They were using their number three goalie because their starter had played four in a row in the home stand, and they had <laughs> their number two guys hurt. 
or out. I'm not quite sure what his issue is. And then uh, so they use their number three, Joey Decor. The Oilers only got 23 shots on him, but they managed to pump five past him. So happy ending. And five nice goals. <laughs> five nice goals. And there was there was nice things things to like about all five of those goals. Got a, a little lucky break on one or two of them, but well, uh, you know, nice all five of them. I bet you all five shots were under 10 feet. Yeah, they're all scored from right around the blue paint. So, Bruce, we'll do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. Two good things each. What's your first good thing? Well, I'm going to give it sound like a broken record, but I'm going to give another big shout out to that big netminder, Mikko Koskinen, who I thought was terrific in this game and a huge six foot seven, huge reason why Edmonton came away with the two points. In regulation, even though it's 5-2, it looks pretty comfortable. But he was <laughs> under the gun a lot of the game. And he kept delivering big saves. And, and uh, you know, the Oilers got, got him the lead, and he held on to the lead. And uh, um, made the stops, especially in the second period when Seattle had 11 grade-A looks. 11. Including five or six on the power play. They had a couple of power plays in a row where they just... Seemed like they had the puck on the string, and they were getting good chances. And they were, you know, like obviously they're not a team full of superstars, but they had guys with the chances: Jordan Eberle, Ryan Donato, Brandon Tanev, uh, Jaden Schwartz, who, who scored a beautiful goal, um, Callie Yarncroc, Alex Wenberg. I mean, these are good players, and they were, you know, getting sort of eyeball to eyeball with Koskinen, and he was. Uh, Staring them down and making the making the big stops, and I I thought he was rock solid, and uh, and like I say, just a, a huge part of the win. Another 9.31 save percentage tonight, and uh, a well earned win. He's now five wins, one loss. 9.33 save percentage overall for yeah. Mikko Koskinen this year, Bruce. He's you know, of goalies who have played at least five games, he ranks, I think, seventh in save percentage overall in the NHL right now. Of course, it's early in the year. All these save percentages will come down. Yes. But um, goalies start got, hot every year. You got a few goalies that start start out super hot, and they, you know, they they just are unsustainable for for a bit. And you know, it's going to catch up with them. It'll catch up with Mikko at some point. But I'm very encouraged by how well he's played. And he had that one stinker game. And honestly, in all five of the other games, I thought he was excellent to outstanding. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And and he, I think his story uh, touched a lot of people heading into the season. Mm-hmm. You know, that like last year was just a terrible year for him personally. Mm-hmm. Missing his family, never felt in sync. Um, so there's a lot of people rooting for him even as a lot of people still hold the Shirelli contract against Peter Shirelli's final act, or is it the Bob Nicholson contract? The, that, that contract is still held against him by many, but a lot of people are really, and we saw that come out when he, when he had the one bad game, you know, people are just jumping on him as soon as it happened. Not a good look, but uh, he, he, he's playing well. He played well, you know, it was a 2019, 20 season. He was a solid goalie that year. He's capable of being a solid goaltender over a long stretch of time for the Oilers, and uh, he's really coming through for them now. 
Tonight was the fun. first time where I thought maybe Dave Tippett could have gone to Stuart Skinner. Like I've uh-huh. all along, like people anxious to get Skinner in there and not play Costin back to back and so on. But I thought he was the, the conservative but right choice every game. And tonight I thought if they're going to put Skinner in, maybe this is the one. But in retrospect, I'm glad they had Koskinen in because uh, that game could have gone sideways if the if the young goalie had anything resembling a tough night because Seattle kept coming. My good thing, Bruce, is Leon Dreisaitl, who just <laughs> had a fantastic game. You counted it up. He was in on nine grade-A scoring chances, was he? That, which is, if you get up to 10, then you're really into, uh, right. you know, the Mount Everest territory. But he's at K2 uh, uh, getting <laughs> nine. It's a pretty impressive achievement. And um, and, and just he just Great flashed chances. tremendous skill all night long. I'll just go through, like, his goals – even that first goal off his skate, you know, he was intending to put that off his skate towards the net. And that worked. That worked. Got a goal. Um, <clears throat> on the Keith goal, he takes it hard to the, he, he takes it wide and hard to the net and puts it across and Keith baps it in. It's like the gimme, a gimme putt for Duncan Keith there. Um, the third goal, what's Keith that? He's made one? a good shot. He didn't have a lot of room there. I think he tucked it in off the near side post, but uh, uh, the puck was there for him to do that. Let me just see what's the third goal that we have here. What was the power play goal that he scored off the Hyman feed right across the goal mouth? Oh, yeah. He just drives hard, hard to the net. And it's never easy to get your stick on that puck and direct it at the net and, of course, put it upstairs. Leon made it that look pretty look made it look pretty easy. And then the final uh, point that he got was was fantastic because um he set up Connor Yamamoto first time Yamamoto scored in a long time. What's the exact number Bruce? How many games? Oh, uh, well, I think they said he'd had one goal in his previous 36 games. Oh, jeez. So that's a huge I mean that's half a season with one goal. So he really needed to get off the schneid as the sportscasters say. And he indeed got off the schneid. Uh, thanks to, uh, well, he got, Yamamoto made the play too. Like he was yeah. the one who, neutral who zone. Uh, got the puck in the neutral zone, got it up to Leon and Leon managed to draw, seemed like three different uh, Seattle players all were, were, uh, magnetized by Leon and when he pulled the third guy into him then he just slid the puck through and Yamamoto was in free and he made a nice little little uh, move to tuck it home but the, the setup was masterful I thought his best <laughs> moment came um, 10 seconds left in the f- second period he's in on two chances and one of them is on this uh, this this turnaround wrist shot that he has i think that's what i'm going to call it you know the old turnaround jump shot mm-hmm. where you get the pass and you turn around and shoot this is leon's turnaround wrist shot where he gets the the his back's facing the net he gets it on his backhand and he turns and fires mm-hmm. and uh that was blocked but mcd almost ha- hammered in the rebound <laughs> and then that nugent, nugent hopkins uh made a very nice pass uh behind the net to uh to McDavid, who made an excellent pass then to Drysaddle for the old executioner shot. He got all of it, and it's amazing that that puck did not go on the net. Um, Drysaddle was most amazed at all he thought he had scored. 
Two decords glove and yeah. the skates caught it right in front of the goal line. He just barely got the last piece of his equipment on. Keep that one out. Kind of a miracle stop. What's the NHL goal score? He had a breakaway that? too, right? I mean, Connor set him in for a clear cut breakaway, Leon. So, I mean, he was just dangerous all night. I'm sorry, the NHL record for. No, I'm just checking the score. Oh, he's now tied with Connor McDavid for We're the tied. scoring. Dead, dead tied. Seven goals, 17. 10 assists, 17 points each. Dry settles plus nine. McDavid is plus two. Yes. And that's what we've seen with our grade A scoring chance data, Bruce, this year is Connor McDavid has been leaking a lot of grade A chances against. If we're completely honest about this, he he's not been stellar defensively, whereas Leon has picked it up defensively and, and is having a very strong year, two-way year. Uh, both ends of the ice. And this was the first game, I think, this was the first game that the the dynamite line, to me, looked like the dynamite line of 2019-20. Moving the puck around with a little bit more aplomb and um, making plays together. And there was just some moments where they looked really good. And, of course, the the goal, uh, Yamamoto's goal was, was the icing on the cake of that, for sure. It was the top moment, but I thought that line looked really good, and and I'm glad that Tippett's sticking with them for a little bit here. Why not see if they can get him going? And I, I think they are maybe going here. So, yeah. Well, Leon gave uh, uh, he had another chance for the hat trick late, and he uh, deferred to Nuge that time because he came coming into the game. Both of his wingers had no no goals. Hard to imagine for a guy that's now leading the league in scoring that neither of his wingers had a goal. Well, one of them now does, and he tried to set up the other one. He tried to dish it off to Nuge on a play where he probably would have been better advised just to let fly, but the game was in hand, and I think it was an unselfish play by him. Nuge, eight games, 11 assists. Eight games mm -hmm. and 11 assists. Very nice, very nice. Bruce, what's your second good thing? Yeah, uh, I'm just going to give you the stat here if this stupid thing will react. Okay, on ice goals for all situations. Leon's been on the ice for 23 goals this year and four against. Wow. Yeah, he's I mean, been really strong. The power, the power, some of that's power play, obviously, but uh, he also played three on five and four on six, you know, and, and uh, uh, he's he's been on the ice for four goals against in uh, 182 minutes. 23-4. Huh. Well, a lot of so those plus are nine at, Plus nine at even strength, officially. Yeah. But also, you know, the power play is, is so deadly in part, large part, because he's he's on it. So that all situations, goals, I mean, you have to say, you, have, you know, you know it's going to be slanted one way or the other just by uh, deployment. But 23-4. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah. Alrighty, what's your second good thing? Uh, I'm going to just focus specifically on the second Oilers goal, the one that put him ahead to stay at two to one, uh, the power play goal. And this was a power play goal where Connor McDavid was nothing but a decoy, but the other four guys all made beautiful plays. Three of them made beautiful passes, and Leon had the finishing touch, but the the they started from deep in their own territory with Connor coming around behind the net, and you're expecting one of those plays where they, they come out and they delay and they feed it back to him and he comes charging up the blue line. Well, instead, Tyson Berry uh, looked up and fired a uh, 
a long stretch pass to the far blue line right onto the stick of uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, who came over the, the line with the puck. And there was one camera angle that showed it perfectly. The lane that Nuge made his pass through to Hyman, and he had to thread it, an aerial pass right in between two, two Seattle defenders into a slot that was maybe a foot wide and had to be in the air, and then it had to come down flat on the other end. But that pass by Nuge was absolutely fantastic, inch perfect. And then, so that set Hyman in on goal, and Hyman had the uh, presence of mind to know that Drysaddle was charging up the other side, and he made a third beautiful pass in a row by the team uh, across the crease to Drysaddle, and Leon was able to chip it upstairs. And I just thought sensational skill on display from all all players. It's one of those old Oilers kind of goals. They just overwhelm you with, you know, several great plays in a row, and you just can't stop it. Yeah, it was amazing. Nuge's pass was, was so <laughs> Unreal. good. It was such a great play. My wife only likes to see the really great plays, and that was one. That was the one play tonight where I called her yeah. from uh, where she, she yeah. was in the living room. That I was, said, oh, you got to was... come see this one. you got to see this goal. <laughs> like, it was such a great goal. I, Bruce, my second good thing is another is another goal, and and this wasn't this was such a crucial goal because it was three to two then I believe, mm-hmm. and um, you know you never know what's going to happen, but the fourth line, the fourth line scored the goal, and I liked the way they scored it because they just it was just such a fundamental fundamental good play by Kyle Torres on the goal. First of all, he advances the puck to center ice. And he makes, you know, for a four-flying guy, he makes the good play. Get it in deep. He got that puck in deep. He dumped it in. He got it in deep, which is just, that's what you're what you're out there to do if you're on the fourth line. And then um, Devin Shore rushes in hard, bowls his way in there, beat, and beats everyone else to the puck in the, in the corner. Then he makes a great skill play. And this is the funny thing about Devin Shore. Every once in a while... You know, once every two weeks, maybe, or once a month, he makes a just a fantastic skill play. And this was it. Just he he uh, puts the puck cross seam, cross the ice, and uh, who who then makes another great fundamental play? Kyle Torres. After dumping it in, he goes right to the net. As our friend Murdoch Stick Davis says, GTFN, get to the frickin' net. At not exactly. The word isn't frickin', but he was in an Oilers practice, I think. He I've said only ever day. seen GTTFN, so I've only had to assume what the F stood for, but I'm pretty sure it's not frickin'. He was in an Oilers practice, <laughs> and he heard, Sather, he heard Sather <laughs> yelling this repeatedly at the players, GTFN. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounds like slots. You know, GTTFN, as you say. So, hmm. yeah, he um, that's what Torres did, and it, he was rewarded with the goal. So great fundamental play mm-hmm. by Kyle Turris on that play, both the dump mm-hmm. in and going to the net. And he a crucial goal for the Edmonton team. And they needed the fourth line to do something. So yeah. we've been you Especially wrote a post. They got on burned him. on the three two goal late yeah. in the previous period where Turris was unable to uh, prevent the shot from the slot. But uh at least they got it back, right? Yeah. I mean, break even. That's what that's my request to the fourth line. Don't expect you to to go out and blow the other team off the sheet, but break even. And if it's zero zero or one one, whatever, 
breaking even, yeah. you're doing your job. Yeah, honestly, at the start of the game, I'm thinking, like, why are they playing Shore and why are they playing Taurus again? Like, can't they play somebody else? Um, although, it's a nice play by both guys. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, and they need to make more of them. They got it. And like you say, they got to come out even. Mm-hmm. What's your bad thing? Oh, yeah. I told you earlier. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, and I can't even remember my bad thing, or I jumped in right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got uh, Darnell Nurse and Evan Bouchard. Uh, I thought this was by far uh, the worst game of the season <clears throat> by both guys. And uh, Nurse was uh, beaten <clears throat> like a hoop around a barrel, as Howie Meeker used to say, by Jaden Schwartz on the first uh Seattle goal, just a one-on-one rush, and, and uh, Schwartz was Nurse's man primarily. He didn't get a lot of help from Bouchard, but it was it was Nurse that uh, Schwartz went around. And uh, uh, I said to my wife, "Boy, you don't see Darnell get beat one-on-one like that very often." And then a few minutes later, it happened again. You know, it didn't turn into a goal or anything, but he just flat out got burned uh, on what looked to be a straight-up one-on-one play and he had um uh, he had a tough night on the penalty kill and he was just kind of running around a little bit right and 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 the orders were disorganized and that first pairing was part of the disorganization as for uh, as for bouchard uh, uh, he seemed a little bit lost in the defensive zone he got beat and, and coverage a couple times he coughed up the puck real bad uh I don't know how the scorekeepers missed it. He didn't. They just recorded oh, the shot bad, on yeah. net, but he just put it right on the guy's stick in the slot, and the guy let fly, and it was uh, another save by Koskinen to bail him out. And I just thought he was, um, you know, that big brain he has that sees the game, and it just didn't seem to be clicking. His passes weren't quite on the target. I think they both iced the puck. Uh, you know, there was uh, just... Uh, they didn't have it going on, and the uh, uh, game summary, you know, uh, Korsky, uh, Bouchard, plus 9, minus 20, right? Shot 6 to 11. You know, they were playing in their own end, and they were uh, having trouble breaking the cycle. And honestly, the Oilers as a team, I thought there was a few times, they just needed to knock somebody down, and break the cycle that way, and no, just take somebody out of the play. Not 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 crush them. Just take somebody out of the play and stop that endless cycle. But they uh, they have a tough night. How many hits did Nurse have? Uh, officially, he had three, and Maybe Bouchard had one with two official giveaways, and not counting the the worst one, which somehow got missed. Maybe Nurse is. Uh tired of hitting so many eight players a game maybe he's getting tired of that so he's cut down to three and they only <clears throat> they play 21 minutes for nurse 22 for bouchard so the the coach cut him a little bit of slack and gave uh, a little bit more balance of ice time to the other guys tonight well that's a so, good idea well Keith not bad i mean they just they didn't have it going on and and coach recognized that and uh, and gave uh, keith and cc right around 20 minutes each and Barry also got close to 20 minutes counting power play time, and only Slater Cuckoo was down in the 13-minute range. Barry's playing better. 
He's he's getting his game together mm-hmm. a bit more. Uh, yeah, you know it was that that turnover by Bouchard, Bruce. It was for me as a as a beer league hockey player who constantly makes plays like that. It's kind of heartening to see such a great player do it. You know, like it's watching it, a pro golfer miss a two foot putt. It's like yeah, while. it's kind of like oh geez, even the even the great even the greatest passer or one of the great passers of of you know of the Oilers team right now makes a mistake like that. You know. He's like a mutant X-Men Bouchard, the way he can make those passes. Like, they're laser, laser guided usually. But, man, he, he, he missed, missed some one. good passes tonight, but he missed he missed more than he should yeah. have. And I, I just didn't think he was particularly on his game. I didn't think he was reading the game well. And it's, you know, an off night. So, um, My bad thing was the Oilers on the PK, and I know they weren't scored on. But they did allow five grade A chances in the second period in a cluster there. And it just struck me they were running around. They were making nurse, especially picking on nurse here. They were making bad decisions. And um, Ryan, too, eh? Ryan, yeah, the puck went through Ryan a couple times. Those are more tough plays in a way. I thought nurse, though, was kind of out of pulling himself out of position and like being aggressive and then not winning the battle. They just were out of sync in that moment in the PK in a way that I hadn't really seen that often this year. So they'll get that together. You know, you can't be perfect all the time. PK has been pretty good this year, hasn't it? Like, yeah. uh, I don't, was I don't good know tonight, but, but that's because Mikko Koskinen tonight was their best. Yeah, that's right. Well, that so, hasn't always been the case, but tonight he sure was. And he bailed out the, his men a few times there where they, uh, they got beat for a good chance and he had the answer for it. Miko Koskinen. There you go. You need him. Let's see. PK percentage. Where did, the Oilers are the third best team yeah. in PK percentage. 91 point. Oh, they're tied for second at 91.3 with St. Louis. Mm-hmm. That is an unbelievably high, high PK percentage for early mm-hmm. in the year. I mean, their special teams are just off the charts here, Bruce, early in the year, which explains kind of an off the charts mm-hmm. winning percentage, right. right? Like that's that's why that happens. They're 12 4, uh, 0 against on the power play, four, uh, on the power play and 1 4, 2 against on the penalty kill. So they're a net plus 11 on, on special teams after just eight games plus 11. That'll. I mean, even strength are just kind of a break even team, but they're crushing it. Third year in a row under Tippett. I mean, it's clearly a pattern. What's your and, number? You may not want to credit Tippett for the power play and just say it's the great players they got, but the penalty kill every year has got different guys to work with, and every year the penalty kill has done the job that he's been here. So I credit him for the power play. I mean, they're part of it. The coaches, they're they're um, working with these players. Yeah. But I, th- I guess the glib way is to say, well, with Drysaddle and McDavid and uh, Nugent Hopkins, anybody could coach that power play, you know, and. There's well, some truth. I mean, that power play is going to be successful, no matter who's devising the systems. But uh, not true. I think. Uh, well, it's not maybe not we, this we've successful. Seen it, Bruce. Maybe we've not seen it this successful. Be. Right. Yeah, we've but, seen it a whole year, 2017, mm-hmm. 18. That power play was anemic, and they had great players on that power play, and it was there was you know they just weren't in sync. They weren't. At that point, McDavid hadn't been freed up, right? He was always out there on the uh, right half wall, mm-hmm. and he just wasn't that effective. Drysaddle wasn't in the ex, you know, that that spot where he gets the executioner shot off. He wasn't constantly there. 
So you can have NHL coaches who will take these players and not get a great power play out of it. So I would give Dave Tippett some credit for the power play. Some might say, well, look at the gifts that he's been given. But I will say then, look at the penalty kill and how they've had to change out the, the uh, uh, several of the main penalty killers in each of his three years, and yet somehow the penalty kill keeps getting on and doing okay. So I think some of that definitely has to be credited to coaching. Your number. My number is flat zero, and that is the number of shot attempts generated by the line of Derek Ryan, Warren Fogle, and Zach Cassian tonight. Three forwards on a line that played uh, 12, 13 minutes for uh, Fogle and Cassian, and uh, nine for Ryan. Uh, what do I got for Ryan? 14 for Ryan. They're all around 14 minutes, and among the three of them, they couldn't even direct one puck towards the net because they were chasing the game. And they didn't stink. Like, defensively, well, Ryan had a bit of a tough night on, on the penalty kill. I thought Cassian was actually all right defensively, and Fogel didn't create any any waves, but they just had nothing offensively, nothing at all. And uh, they... they, uh, they That's now, I think, three games at least where they've been really quiet since they had a very good start and they were scoring in every game for a little while there but uh, that's gone uh, the other way and uh, hopefully it's something they can turn around soon or maybe they're they'll look at uh, shaking things up a bit because zero shot attempts from the entire forward line regular forward line I mean it's not the fourth line we're talking about it's uh, uh, just uh, not acceptable really yeah, I think they'll stick with them. I mean, they've been a pretty good line, and every line will have an off night now and then, right? Like just yeah. maybe yeah. you know things get out of sync for some reason. It's just not working, and 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 you know one theory um, from you know the the Russians, for instance, the Soviets would stick with their lines for a long time, and the thinking was that by doing that, you put the responsibility on the players mm-hmm. to sort it out among themselves to figure it out to to fight through it this was uh anatoly tarasov's theory mm-hmm. and um uh it's not a theory that's much used in the nhl these days <laughs> but oh. um i think there's something to it i think that coaches might go to that more they're so uh they like they just are hyper managers now like you know micromanagers managers they don't that idea of letting the players work it out among themselves over time seem might seem foreign to a modern coach, but maybe maybe there's something to that. And I like it. I like these lines a lot. I think these are, you know, these are the lines that I would pick. So that's why I like them. But I think they're. I also think they're very good lines. They, they make sense to me. And except yeah. for the fourth line, which I don't still not a fan no. of. But the the top three lines, they there's a good mix on all those lines. Stick with them. And, um, you know, stick with the ammo on that second line, stick with the dynamite line, see if they can, they can keep picking it up. And that top line has got a lot, ton of chemistry. And so does the third line. So it's about as passe as, uh, uh, a baseball manager starting a pitcher and using that same pitcher for the entire game, right? It's just almost from another era of without the micromanaging where they just sort of 
pick the line up and let them go. And nowadays it's uh, it's uh, you know count the pitches and uh, let's make sure you don't go through the order more than twice and have the platoon advantage and it's all this you know and it, it's fascinating in its own way but it makes for a different game in some ways. I can't. I don't watch baseball anymore, so I'm done with it. All right. I know. (laughs) That's what I hear. Um, My number, Bruce, is 1.5. That, after eight games, which is a small sample size, as we all know, that is the order's goal differential, 1.5. 4.1 goals for per game, 2.6 goals against per game. Bruce, this Oilers team has the second highest goal differential in Edmonton Oilers history. Now, it's just eight games, so who knows if it's going to last? Probably not. We already talked about the special teams and how kind of historically high they are, unbelievably high. Um, So the 1.5 goal differential, is that going to last? I don't know. Maybe not. But Bruce... Only one team, the 1983-84 Oilers had a higher goal differential. 1.7 was their goal differential. Two other teams are tied with this this Oilers team. The mm-hmm. 81-82 Oilers had a 1.5 goal differential, as did the 85-86 Oilers. That's really interesting. The 82 team and the 86 team kind of had a bad run in the playoffs. Both those teams uh, um, lost tough series in the playoffs. Anyway... This is a dominant team that we've seen for the first eight games. Um, fingers crossed it can continue, Bruce. I think it. I think this is a different kind of Oilers team. If they can continue to get goaltending like Smith and Koskinen have given them, they're not going to obviously finish the year with an 875 winning percentage. But this is a very, very good team. They've got three lines that work. They've got that. They've got finally. An, I might write about this. They finally have defensemen who can move the puck. All these guys can move the puck. And, and you know, the one guy who's not a natural, not known as a puck mover, Cuckoo, he, he moves it okay. He, he's not terrible at it. He's not a turnover machine or a giveaway machine. Uh, he's not up the boards and ice it. out into the neutral yeah. zone so they can wave back. Yeah. In a- this is a team that, like, they move the puck, they attack. And uh, they have 4.1 goals. It wasn't high for the 80s. That would put them at the lower end of the 80s era for goal scoring. But higher than the 89-90 team that won the Cup, uh, which I think had 3.9 goals per game. So this, And it's the highest scoring Oilers team since the 1980s. It is a, I, this, is a good, this is a good team. This is a very good team. Or the other uh, thing is that it's an okay team, but with two such high-end superstars driving the attack that as long as the rest of the team can hold its own, the superstars are going to find a way to win games. But uh, it's more than just those superstars. I mean, Nugent Hopkins is playing great hockey and making terrific plays involved in goals game after game. Uh, Same goes for Zach Hyman, who's a force on both special teams. And who has uh, uh, is Nuge, and who is um, uh, you know finding ways to to finish plays or, or uh, tonight make the make the pass. Uh, they've got uh, you know some some more depth at the forwards, 
So it's not just uh, it's not just the two guys doing all of the heavy lifting. They're just doing most of the heavy lifting now. And I mean, that's really what you want. I mean, you think of great teams. I mean, it reminds me of great teams of the past. And I'm not saying they're a great team yet, but in terms of trying to compare them, reminds me of the Boston Bruins of Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito. And you've uh, long made the comparison of Connor McDavid being Bobby Orr playing center. Mm-hmm. And I would make the comparison that Leon Dreisaitl is, uh, you know, if you want to compare him to a big, heavy, power, skilled center of the past, the Phil Esposito is not such a bad guy to compare him to. The very so good comp. You start with Stop those listening. two guys and then you build around them. And that's yeah, what they're I trying agree. to do. That's a, that is a, an excellent comparison. And Hyman, he reminds me a bit of Cashman. He's not as chippy as Cashman, <laughs> as Wayne Cashman, but he uh-huh. he's tough on the boards like Cashman. I mean, I, I thought Dreisaitl was a great puck protector, but Zach Hyman is fantastic at it. He he is so hard. He's setting up, you know, like when he's charging in on the puck, he's setting up the defenseman to, to puck protect before he gets there. And, you know, mm-hmm. to angle them to the uh, the place where the defenseman doesn't want to be. He's just, he's he's great at retrieving pucks out of the corners. That's what Cashman was. And they had, of course, you know, the orders, like you say, they have, they, they got Fogel. They got some depth now. They got Fogel and they got Pugliarvi and Yamamoto and yeah. behind these, these other players. So, um, and Bouchard makes a huge difference, I think. Having a defenseman like that, who looks like he's a, top puck moving top pairing d-man right now most nights most nights not maybe not tonight um it's a dif- different aspect to the oilers that they haven't had yeah in quite a while so uh so far so good so far so good so far so great how about that yep seven wins one loss plus 12 in the gold score and against column and I mean, even if it's all special teams, normally you'd say, well, that special teams isn't sustainable and maybe it's not at quite this level. But I'm very confident in saying that the Oilers power play will outscore their opposition's power play by, you know, tens of goals over the course of the season. Yeah, this power play is going to be at least, I, I think, at least 30 percent, 30, 30 percent plus this year. We'll see how yeah. how much higher well. they can get over 30 percent. Let's leave it there, Bruce. OK. Thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.